It's Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo, and you are listening to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. I'm Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Some former skeptics are now getting the vaccine. Tonight, the California Report interviews Dr. Brian Castrucci about it. We'll look at local headlines and weather before listening to an interview with Julie Baker, the executive director of Californians for the Arts. And we'll close tonight with a commentary by local chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. California's recall election went into full swing yesterday with a campaign launch featuring a live bear and embattled Governor Gavin Newsom defending his record managing the state through a tumultuous year. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Republican John Cox launched his campaign in Sacramento alongside a 7-foot, 1,000-pound Kodiak bear named Tag. The bear ambled behind the GOP challenger, eating cookies tossed by his handler, while Cox bemoaned the current state of California. California can be a beautiful state once again, but that means we need to recall our pretty boy governor, Gavin Newsom. The Southern California businessman lost to Newsom in 2018 by nearly 24 points. He criticized the Democratic governor's management of the state and blamed him for record-breaking wildfires, power blackouts, and drawn-out business closures over the past year. That's real-world impacts from a lack of leadership, frankly. And I think the, the people of this state need to have that hit home. And if the bear helps bring the message home, I'm, I'm happy to have it. Newsom held his own campaign event soon after. His first in-person appearance focused on the recall. Now is not the time to waste hundreds of millions of dollars on a recall effort that is nothing more than a partisan power grab. The governor did not comment directly on specific candidates or their attacks. Transgender TV star and Olympic gold medalist Caitlyn Jenner also dropped her first campaign video. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. Jenner calls herself a compassionate disruptor and criticized Newsom as out of touch. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Turning to the pandemic, San Francisco and L.A. County have both moved into the least restrictive yellow tier when it comes to reopening. Restrictions will be loosened for many businesses, which will allow them to open at a greater capacity. San Francisco Mayor London Breed called it an incredible milestone and says the city's vaccination rate has played a key role in slowing the spread of the virus. We have about 72% of San Franciscans that have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. And we're hoping by the middle of this month, we'll get to 80. LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Hilda Solis said that while this is a big achievement for the county, she warned the pandemic isn't over. It's exciting, but also a word of caution. If we still only have 60% of our population that is vaccinated, we still have a lot more work to do. Trinity County in the North State has also moved into the yellow tier, but COVID-19 numbers in Marin County ticked up slightly, meaning that county will stay in the orange tier for now. 
Public health experts are keeping a close eye on data that shows the pace of COVID-19 vaccinations slowing down. The Washington Post reports half of all eligible adults have yet to receive a first shot. And yet a growing group of vaccine skeptics appear to be changing their minds and getting the shot. Dr. Brian Castrucci is the president and chief executive officer of the De Beaumont Foundation. He joins us now. Thanks, Lily. It is great to be here. You have been conducting focus groups on this issue, and from what you can tell, why are some of these one-time skeptics coming around to the idea of getting the COVID-19 vaccine? Well, I think they're starting to, to see other people taking it. And I think that's what was really important to so many. You know, their decision to get vaccinated came after just their perceived risk of getting COVID-19 outweighed their concerns about the safety of the vaccines. And they were motivated by things that they want to be able to do, like travel or go to sporting events and safely seeing friends and family. Uh, The most influential source of information about COVID-19 vaccines was a doctor, a pharmacist, or other medical professional who they knew and trusted. Uh, And I think they just became more comfortable after seeing the people that they know get vaccinated without any major complications. And of course, health officials at the federal, state and local level are pretty uniformly working to try to convince people about the safety of the vaccine and about why it's so important to get it. What can they be saying and doing to help convince those who are still skeptical? Safety and speed are concerns that that a lot of folks have. And we have to keep telling people that no corners were cut bureaucracy and red tape were cut to expedite the safe development of these vaccines. And that the technology behind the vaccines was built on decades of trusted medical research. So while it seems that these have come to market very quickly, safety wasn't compromised. We need to make sure that uh, people are always feeling that they have the freedom to make an informed personal decision. And lastly, but probably most important, we need to be non-judgmental. We don't need debate. We need dialogue and discussion. And many conservatives are tired of being shamed and blamed and just want to have candid, open conversations about the vaccines that are non-judgmental. They want to hear the science and the facts, and then they just want to make their own informed decision. Yeah, you can't really have a dialogue with someone if they feel that you are judging them. Um, I think the reality is that we are not going to convince everyone to get vaccinated. But based on the trends that you are seeing, are you confident that we can at least change the minds of some of the people who are squarely on the fence right now? Between March and April, we saw a 20 percent increase in likelihood of vaccination among Republicans. And so that gives me hope. But I think the reality lies somewhere in the middle. I think people are still making a decision about whether they want to get the vaccine. And we need to keep consistent, truthful messaging about the vaccine and what it means to get vaccinated. But I think if you look at you know India, we should take that as a warning. And we should not be so arrogant to believe that that could not happen here in the U.S. And that right now there's a race between getting vaccinated or finding more variants. All right, Dr. Brian Castrucci of the De Beaumont Foundation. Thank you. Thanks, Lily. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org/adaptingcare. Personal Capital 
helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. It's now easier than ever to be immunized against COVID-19 here in Nevada County. But what if you've missed your second dose? At a meeting today between Nevada County Public Health Team and local media outlets, Nevada County's Deputy Health Officer, Dr. Glenna Trochet, had this to say. Although the CDC recommends that you get your Pfizer second dose after the three weeks after the first dose and your Moderna second dose four weeks after the first dose, and no later than 42 days after the first dose, the truth is, if you said no to your second dose and then you change your mind, we would be happy to give you your second dose anytime. It is preferable that you get it on time. It is better if you get it within the 42 days. But say three months later, you say, oh, maybe I should get that second dose. We would give you that second dose. The city of Nevada City released an after-action report on its website yesterday pertaining to the circumstances surrounding the protests, counter-protests, and police response that took place in the city on August 9, 2020. The report, prepared by an independent private investigation firm, notes that no police officer violated any law or rule in their response to this demonstration, and that even if every member of the police department had been on duty, there still wouldn't be enough personnel to control the unruly crowd of between 150 and 200 people. You can find the report and read it yourself on the city's website at nevadacity.gov slash news dot A-S-P-X. In regional weather, for Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 57, tomorrow sunny with a high near 77. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight clear with a low around 44. Tomorrow, sunny and breezy with a high near 69. And for Woodland and Sacramento, tonight, also clear with a low around 55. Tomorrow, yep, sunny with a high near 85. Next, Felton Pruitt talks with Julie Baker, the executive director of Californians for the Arts, about their $1 billion request from the state of California to rebuild the arts communities in our state. We're talking with Julie Baker. She's the executive director of the Californians for the Arts. You folks are trying to really help restore the arts in California. Why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on right now, Julie? Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. So as as you can imagine, and statistics tell us, the arts and culture industries in California have been severely impacted by the closures due to COVID-19. And so what we're finding is that the industry has suffered over $45 billion in total losses since we've been shuttered since last March. 69% of workers are unemployed in the state of California, of arts workers. So we're really looking at 
what do we need to do to restore and rebuild this vital industry for the state that actually represents over 8% of the state's gross domestic product and um, employs over 750,000 people in the state. So what we've done, Californians for the Arts, along with our lobbying organization, California Arts Advocates, have built a coalition with the National Independent Venues Association, the California version of that, as well as the California Association of Museums to ask the California legislature and the Newsom administration to make a significant investment. And we have come together with a coalition ask of $1 billion over the next two to four years. And since California is in a place of both a budget surplus, as well as $26 billion coming into the state from the American Rescue Plan, This is really a unique opportunity for finally to see the investment needed, not only in this case, the recovery, but really the sustainability of such an important sector for for California that has really historically been undercapitalized. We really don't invest a lot. Currently in the state, we invest 73 cents per capita in the arts. In other words, less than a dollar. And that means that your nonprofit arts organizations, your arts education, all of the things that, you know, we know we need in our communities so badly, we're really not getting the investment. And so this is a time that we've all come together and said, no, we are essential. You need us. Every community needs us to recover. And uh, now is the time to make this significant investment. That's quite an ask, $1 billion. It is, but when you look at an industry that's actually over $233 billion in, you know, annual combined revenues to the state, it's not. (laughs) It's actually a very small ask. And when you look at how much money there is coming into the state, uh, both, like I said, from both the budget surplus and from the ARP, the American Rescue Plan funds, it also isn't. And we're not saying a billion dollars right now. We're saying an investment over two to four years. You know, McKinsey and Company has done a, uh, the consulting firm has done a study and it it shows that it's going to take till 2025 for in particular this industry, the arts and culture, live events industries to recover from the impact of COVID-19. So it's, it's a smart investment with a huge return on investment because the thing that makes sense about it is that, and you know, we live here in Nevada City, Grass Valley area and as you and I have both experienced how critically important in Grass Valley, the Center for the Arts is, and in Nevada City, the Miners Foundry is, in terms of being anchor businesses, and in this case, nonprofit organizations that not only make our lives happier and better and give us that hope and healing and the need for uh, coming together, but they're also huge economic drivers. They bring people to our community. They get people out into the downtowns, which then helps the restaurants. It helps the coffee shops. It helps the retail. It helps the hotels. So it's an investment that makes a lot of sense for the state to make in order for every community in California, because everyone, whether it's rural, whether it's primarily led by people of color or in pockets of um, communities that are uh, culturally rich and specific, every community in California has arts and culture, and it should be invested. We're talking with Julie Baker, the executive director of Californians for the Arts. What's the timetable for the proposal and then actually seeing something happen and getting the money back into businesses' pockets? So the timetable right now is that we are 
really trying to build public awareness around this, getting people to um, send in letters and messages to their own elected officials saying that they support this. We are building our legislative champions, of which we now have um, at least half a dozen who are saying they also support this. I'll be testifying next week at a Senate Budget Committee hearing. So again, we start to really kind of make it aware that this is going on and that there is a need. And then the governor, before around May 10th, does what's called the May revise of his January budget. And we'll hope to see us, you know, the arts and culture and creative industries in that budget. And that's when we'll get an indication of what the administration's thinking. Then it goes back to the legislature and it's kind of a negotiation process back and forth of what gets in there. And uh, we'll look to around June 15th or so where we'll get a real indication of what goes through. Now, what's different this year than any other year, that's sort of the general budget process. We also have these federal funds coming in. So we're not exactly certain if it's all going to be all at one time or if there's going to be mini budget processes. But the time is now. It's happening now. These decisions are being made now. These decisions are also being made in local communities. Uh, Every city and county is also getting federal funds. And so, you know, they're determining how they want to invest that back to rebuild their own local economies and bringing back jobs. And so, you know, I also encourage people who believe arts and culture are essential to your community to speak up with your own city council and your board of supervisors and ask of them, what are you doing with these monies? I mean, this is our money. This is your tax monies. This is your investment that you make as as a citizen in the United States. So how is it being spent? And if you believe that arts and culture and creative industries are vital and should be prioritized, you need to let your elected officials know. Why don't you give people some websites and phone numbers in case they would like to get involved and help? (laughs) Yeah, you bet. So uh, the best way to do that is just go to our website, californiansforthearts.org. We are a nonprofit. And there is one of us in almost every state in the United States and, and in organizations like Americans for the Arts at the national level. And so if you're someone who's interested in being an arts advocate, um, we not only provide you with the information, we'll provide you with toolkits and resources. So go to the website, californiansforthearts.org. You can email me at julie at californiansforthearts.org. We've been talking with Julie Baker, the executive director of the Californians for the Arts. Put the S on both Californians and the Arts, and we've got a deal, right, Julie? That's it. All right. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you. We close tonight with a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. Hi, this is Chaplain Norris Burks, bringing you another edition of Spirituality in Everyday Life. As a retired Air Force chaplain, I could say this without exaggeration. NASA Mars Perseverance rover is on the red planet today, resting on a chaplain's prayer. I know that because during the opening years of this century, I was privileged to serve as the embedded chaplain for the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. My job, along with worksite visitations and counseling, included the honor of delivering the official prayers for all Cape Canaveral launches, manned and unmanned. Among the many prayers I gave in my three-year assignment is the one I voiced for America's return to Mars in the 2001 Mars Odyssey mission. On the day before the April 7, 2001 launch, I drove to a cinder block building on the Cape to deliver a benediction prayer for the pre-launch briefing. As the spacecraft waited atop a Boeing Delta II rocket, 
my prayer drew inspiration from Psalm 139. I prayed that Odyssey's camera eye would help us gaze into the heaven and know the majesty that dwells in creation. Now, you may be wondering why an Air Force chaplain would pray for a machine. Well, the official answer is that prayers or blessings are a routine part of military tradition. The unofficial answer is superstition. During my three years at the Cape, I met NASA engineers, rocket scientists who could be as superstitious as ballplayers. They did absolutely everything or anything to push the juju in their favor. They'd wear their lucky socks. They'd stage their special knickknacks on the launch panel. And they'd stuff their religious medals under their shirts. While most engineers I knew were typically agnostic or non-religious, they did allow that a prayer might help. Why not? And apparently my prayer was desperately needed. For you see, two previous Mars missions failed, one due to a colossal miscalculation converting metric to standard U.S. measurements. Gratefully, Odyssey was a massive success, not only for its discovery of water beneath the surface in 2018, but for its current status as the longest working piece of machinery on Mars. Now, you may ask, honestly, chaplain, beyond superstition and tradition, why would you lend your credibility toward praying for a space mission? Because I believe space exploration inspires us to ask the God questions. No, I'm not saying NASA's trying to prove the existence of God. That can't be done. But space exploration helps us to probe the deeper existential questions that put us in mind of our Creator. The search for these answers will both humble us, but also continually befuddle us, over the exponential difference between our questions and our answers. The humility is what Edwin Hubble, who died in 1953, meant when he noted, with increasing distance, our knowledge fades and fades rapidly. Eventually, we reach the dim boundary, the utmost limits of our telescopes. There we measure shadows and we search among ghostly errors of measurement for landmarks that are scarcely substantial. Indeed, our search of heavens inspire the deeply spiritual questions mouthed by our own children. <laughs> Mommy, where did I come from? Or where are we going? Or the most famous of all preschool questions, are we there yet? The collective prayers of our Odyssey launch team that balmy spring day in 2001 embodied all of those childhood questions. They reflected a desire that Odyssey would not only provide us with an extensive look into our past, but that it would also draw a line in the eternal sands of space that man may one day cross. Several months later, the Odyssey returned images from the Mars surface that had even the non-religious repeatedly mouthing God's name in holy awe. The mission truly succeeded beyond anyone's dreams, and perhaps not entirely because of my providential prayer. So today I hold nothing back. I pray for the Perseverance and her ground crew. I pray Godspeed. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. Read more of my commentary at thechaplain.com. Thanks for listening. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. And that concludes tonight's newscast. For their generous support, KVMR thanks 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, and a variety of craft beers, offering a pub-style menu and wood-fired pizzas. 
Open daily for takeout only, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Sutton Way in Grass Valley. 1849brewingco.com And John Hensley and Recreation Realty, offering essential real estate services since 1973, showcasing properties by appointment and following safety protocols. Nevada City locations, Broad Street, also Highway 20. Information, 265-6565, nevadacountyproperties.net. Stay tuned for The Sages Among Us. Tonight, host Brian Buckley interviews Nevada City Mayor Aaron Manette. Thanks very much for listening. The KVMR Evening News airs every Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. You can hear any of these newscasts, again, if you'd like, at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great evening.